Welcome to the book club where the size is just right, the books aren't too long, and you never need to host. That's our job. We bring best-selling and award-winning writers of every genre to Twin Cities metro area libraries to share their stories, discuss their work, and answer those burning questions you've always wanted to ask your favorite authors. This is a book club where we don't have to argue about what the author meant. They can tell us. The book club that doesn't require a clean house or wine and cheese. And in this book club, if you haven't read the book, it's all right. Although, we hope you'll be inspired to pick it up next time you're in the library. I'm your co-host, Slade Kemet, and you can consider the book club rewritten because this is Club Book. This season of Club Book looks and sounds a little different than our previous seasons. Due to COVID-19, we are bringing seasons to you virtually instead of our traditional live events hosted in libraries around the Twin Cities Metro. Our format will be a little different too. Events this season will consist of facilitated author discussions by some really great guest hosts. And will also include a Q&A section with questions submitted by our virtual audience. With that, I'll turn it over to our host for this evening's event. Enjoy. Welcome to the book club with Tamara Winfrey Harris. Good evening. My name is Jasmine Red Stringer. I am a professional speaker, award-winning author, and the president and founder of Carpe Diem with Jasmine. Before I introduce tonight's guest properly, allow me a moment to tell you a bit more about the unique series that is bringing her to us tonight. Club Book is a program of MELSA, the Metropolitan Library Service Agency, made possible through Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund and coordinated by Library Strategies, part of the Friends of St. Paul Public Libraries. St. Paul Public Library is the co-organizer of tonight's event. Thanks also to partnering bookseller Red Balloon Bookshop. Now for our featured event. Tamara Winfrey Harris is a nationally renowned columnist and speaker her work focuses on the fraught intersection of race and sex. In 2015, Winfrey Harris published The Sisters Are All Right, Changing the Broken Narrative of Black Women in America. This popular essay anthology exposes anti-Black women propaganda all around us and shows the truth of what it's like to be a Black woman in America. A revised and expanded edition of The Sisters Are All Right hits shelves on October 12th, or I guess I should say it hit bookshelves on October 12th. Earlier this year, Tamara also released Dear Black Girl Letters from your sisters on stepping into your power and outgrowth of her grassroots Letters to Black Girls project, first launched in 2017. The book is a collection of empowering messages from Black women to the next generation, covering a host of topics from body positivity to politics, family relationships. Dear Black Girls is intended to help Black girls navigate and thrive in a world that can be so ugly 
and very unforgiving. After a short talk by our guest and some initial questions, we will have time for Q&A. Simply drop your questions in the comments thread here on Facebook or contribute a question a bit more anonymously, you can send a private message to Club Book here on Facebook or send an email to clubbookmn at gmail.com. Clubbookmn at gmail.com. All right, Tamara, a pleasure to be here with you this evening. Hello, I am so, so excited to be in conversation with you. I thought what I would do first is maybe tell the listeners a little bit about um, the story behind how Sisters and Dear Black Girl came to be. Um, I wrote Sisters in 2015 because I was an angry Black woman. I may still be an angry Black woman. I was angry. It's okay about- to be angry. <laughs> I have reason, see, I'm about to tell you, I have reason to be angry. I was angry about the ways that people often talk at um, and about Black women instead of to us. You know, at the time, we were just coming out of that um, conversation about how, you know, why won't somebody marry the Black women? Um, about the fact that we are half as likely to marry as white women. And it seemed like every headline was about how we were, you know, too fat, too broke, too unhealthy. My favorite is like too successful to be marriageable. You know, everything was too, 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 too. And it bore no resemblance to the Black women that I know in my life, even the ones who are fat and broke and single and all of those things, because the conversation was reductive and it was rooted in centuries old stereotypes that didn't see Black women as humans with all the complexity um, that that entails. And so I wrote Sisters and wrote about those founding stereotypes and how they had followed us over centuries. But I think the most important part of the book is that I interviewed more than 100 Black women from across the country about what their lives are really like, which is a lot more nuanced and hopeful than what people have been led to believe. So I wrote The Sisters Are All Right, and it was good. But then I noticed as I was traveling around promoting that book that sometimes I would speak to groups of Black women like us, and you know we would reject those stereotypes as it related to us, but then the conversation would turn to younger women and girls, and suddenly I would hear Black women using that same stereotypical language to talk about, you know, younger femmes, younger than than they are. As a matter of fact, I remember the exact moment, it was an elder sister and she was like, I don't know about these young women, they're awfully free with their bodies. And then she gave this look of such disgust. And I just wondered how, (laughs) there was pearl clutching. And I wondered like how young women received that, whether they noticed that energy. And it turns out I started interviewing black girls and young women and they do. A lot of them said, you know, it was women that they loved um, that kind of reinforced some of those stereotypes for them. So it was like grandma who told them to stay out of the sun so they didn't get too dark or it was, 
you know, auntie that talked to them about being fast, you know, some of those stereotypes. And so that's why I wrote uh, Dear Black Girl and asked more than 30 Black women to write to younger women and Black girls with vulnerability and to approach them instead of like this, which we sometimes do because we fear for younger women because we know Black women don't get second chances and we're not always giving grace, um, but approach them with hands open um, as sisters. Um, and so a lot has happened for Black women and Black girls in the last six years since the Sisters Are All Right was written. We are still not free. And I think that's why we need to learn to love each other well. Um, and so, you know, before you and I are in conversation, I would love to read from the preface of The Sisters Are All Right, which kind of explains a little more about why I wrote that book. And I'll come back at the end and read, read a little bit of the epilogue from Dear Black Girl. So The Sisters Are All Right starts, I love Black women. I love the Baptist church mothers in white. I love the YouTube twerkers. I love the sister, you know what? Hold please. You know, I started reading with such confidence and then realized that I was reading from the old edition of my book. <laughs> oh no, find the new edition. And I'll just say one thing, I know. Vamp, um, yes, vamp for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stall for you, but in letters from your sisters on stepping into your power, I know you were just saying that you wrote it for young women, but when I was reading the book, I kind of felt like this was like, it could have been written or titled the letter, Hey Girlfriend, because even though I don't consider myself a girl, um, some of the words and the thoughts were just what I needed to hear. And, and from the reminders, as you can see, I've bookmark some pages. So um, I know the target market is young girls, but I will say, I think as women, Black women, um, we can benefit from some of the grace and love and empathy expressed on these pages. I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I mean, my my feeling is that all of us, no matter how we, how old we are, have a black girl inside. And so that is, it is, the book is for black girls, but the black girl inside all of us, no matter how old we are. Okay. I've gotten myself together old, uh, over here. All right. The preface, okay. the preface of the sisters are all right. Starts. I love black women. I love the Baptist church mothers in white. I love the girls who bust it on TikTok. I love the sisters with Ivy League degrees and the ones with GEDs. I love the big mamas, mud dears, and aunties. I love the lock-wearing sisters who smell like shea butter. I love the ladies of the Divine Nine. I love the hot girls in Savage Fenty, designer pumps and premium lace fronts, and the sisters who keep a fresh Caesar. I love the girls who jumped double Dutch and played hopscotch. I love the Namyoho Renge Kyo chanters, the hoodoos and the atheists. I love the hustlers scratching and surviving, trying to make a way out of no way. I love the trans sisters living out loud. I love the awkward black girls and the quirky black girls 
and the black girls who listen to punk. I love the standing on the bus stop, sucking on a lollipop round the way girls. I love black women. I love us in every way we show up in the world. Black women have claimed and asserted our power laying ground for collective liberation since I wrote the first edition of The Sisters Are All Right in 2015, like we always do, and it ignites my spirit. We have our first biracial Black woman as Vice President of the United States, the first openly transgender Black woman serving in the Minneapolis City Council. There are three Black women leading the modern civil rights movement. Black women were the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs, at least until COVID-19 upended the whole world. Beyonce has broken the internet 511 times. And Bill O'Reilly, who used to have so much to say about her, well, he was fired from Fox News in 2017. And that dismissal really had nothing to do with B. I just wanted to provide a moment of schadenfreude or in Black girl speak, you hate to see it. Black women have come a long way. We are still, as I said, not free though. Black women organizers routinely put their lives on the line to protest violence against other bodies while brutality against ours provokes shamefully little passion. Black women with privileges such as class and education and light skin have far better access to power and achievement insulation from racism and misogyny sold separately. Too many of us are poor. Too many of us don't have health care. Too many of us are or have been incarcerated. Too many of us are struggling to gain a post-secondary education or are buried under college debt. Too many of us have been assaulted. Too many of us are carrying the weight of other people's problems. The sisters are still all right intrinsically valuable and human, and we are still struggling. So I've studied yoga for years, and I recently completed a 200-hour yoga teacher training during the lockdown last year. On my mat, I've found spiritual tools to navigate life as a Black woman. I also found, in a popular mantra, Sanskrit words to describe what liberation might feel like for me and my sisters. Loka samasta sukino bhavantu, may all beings be happy, healthy, safe, and free. That sort of liberation is hard to find because the world does not love Black women, not in the way we deserve to be loved. It doesn't truly see us. Our authentic collective and individual selves are usually hidden by racist and sexist stereotypes that we can't seem to shake, or rather images that other folks won't let us shake. This is confirmed for me every time I read yet another article about a little black girl sent home from school, not for bad behavior or bad grades, but for having kinky hair every time some well-meaning pundit or preacher offers advice to fix Black women to be more marriageable, every time some hack comedian tells a specious joke about tyrannical Black wives and girlfriends, every time Snoop Dogg, that is, I once walked two bare-breasted Black women on leashes down a red carpet and ran an actual brothel, Snoop Dogg, 
tut tuts at Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion for singing about their own, you know the rest. Every time a young black woman is shot dead by police in the night, every time the American healthcare system mishandles black women's lives, leaving dead mothers and dead babies and dead black women doctors who allegedly too intimidated healthcare professionals to receive adequate care. And that happened right here in Indianapolis where I live. Misogynoir abetted by dehumanizing caricature is like water. It fills its vessel taking many forms and then it overflows, creeping unnoticed into the cracks of things, rotting the foundation. It spreads a belief in black women's inherent wrongness. It decays how the government sees us, how employers see us, how the medical system sees us, how our lovers see us, how we see each other and ourselves. I first wrote the sisters are all right out of anger at the warped societal view of black womanhood. I wrote it because I want black women to be seen. I want to be seen. I want my three young nieces to know their own humanity and demand other people know it too. I wrote the book because even if the world won't love us, I want black women to love ourselves and love each other. I write this second edition because the Black femme experience in America continues to bend and evolve. I am a water witch, dividing the places where racism and sexism flow. We need this. Otherwise, Black women's every seeming success will turn fetid. Black women are a million different kinds of amazing. It is not our race or gender that makes this true. It is our humanity. This book, it's about that humanity, the textured, difficult, and beautiful humanity that lies in the hearts of all Black women, because I love us. Thank you. I think that's our intention for tonight, love. May this conversation be filled with love. Yes. Okay. Gosh. Letters from your sisters on stepping into your power dear black girl we hear this word power a lot these days what does power mean to you i think one i think one thing that it means for me and other black women is choices um choices and the ability to choose your authentic self and i think very often and i've heard a lot of black women say they spend their lives kind of reacting to other people's visions of themselves. Melissa Harris Perry called it like the crooked room, like being a black woman is like being in a fun house um, with this warped picture and you're, you're trying to write yourself, but it's hard. Um, so I think, you know, power as well as liberation feels like being able to make free choices um, as other people do, um, as, you know, straight white men do regularly. I love that choice. Yeah, that's that's really powerful because not only are we as black women, you know, societal pressures, our our familiar pressures, you know, girl, go to job, go to school, get a good job, find somebody to marry you. I mean, there's so much. So we at times have to mute that volume, but it really is about finding the power to exercise freedom of choice for self. 
Because how do you know, like, it's so hard to mute that and not make your choices based on all of those things. Like, do I even want to be married? Do I, you know, do I want to go to college? Do I want to wear my hair this way? Do I want to wear it that way? Like, you know, do I want to be promiscuous? Do I not want to be promiscuous? I mean, Black women are all of those things, right? Because humans are all of those things. But, you know, we very rarely get to kind of just sink into who we are authentically, whatever that looks like, um, you know, because there's so much cost attached to us being our authentic selves. There is. We have so many layers that the process of finding who we truly are at the core, it can take a lot of time. Um, so you wrote this book and you included letters that other people wrote to young Black girls, do you write letters to your Black woman self? And if you <laughs> I, do, what kind of letters do you write? You know, the figuratively, yeah. <laughs> I have not read, written an actual letter to myself, but the letter I need to receive, so someone write it to me, is about achievement. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think since I was a girl, I was one of those you know, one of those people that ran on achievements. And I think it took me a while to learn that it's okay to just be sometimes. You know, that's one of the ways that I think Black women sometimes run ourselves ragged, trying to be seen and trying to be the first and trying to excel, which is great. It's just fantastic. Um, but it, it can also be a way that we can burn ourselves out. Yeah. My mom says, just be, just like, my mom is always telling me that just like, just be just yes. like, maybe I'll get her to write you the letter. <laughs> we can both, we can both get that letter. She's always giving me that advice. Uh, what advice do you have for, you mentioned, you know, black women, the way we speak to black girls, um, and even the way we speak around about black women that may not be our friends, mm -hmm. you know, what advice do you have for Black women and Black girls trying to figure out how to love one another today in 2021? So I think the first step is learning to love yourself. I mean, the reason we can't look at other, but I have a friend who said this great thing. I was like, where'd you get that from? And she's like, me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to quote you. So Dr. Latasha Sturdivant once said to me, I can't see my sister in any greater light than I see myself. So if you aren't happy with, you aren't comfortable with your authentic self, you aren't comfortable with all the pieces of yourself as a Black woman and Black womanhood, it's almost impossible to greet Black girls and other Black women with love if you haven't dealt with, with your own stuff. Um, and then I think the other thing that has been going around in my head is this idea of seeing free Black women everywhere, <laughs> you know, sort of going back to that idea that we owe our choices to either running away from or leaning into these stereotypes. And then we expect other women to do the same. You know, I don't want her to do this because then it reflects badly on me, or I don't want this person to do that because that's not what we do. And we have to see Black women, other Black women as free beings and give them space, even if their way of freedom or their way of being Black women doesn't look like ours. You know, that was powerful what you just said, that we, you know, as Black women, we carry the burden or the responsibilities of other Black women because we 
I know I walk into the room a lot of times as the only, and I do, even though I say I don't represent all black women, <laughs> even though I put that disclaimer out, I know that they're going to say, I met this black woman, Jasmine. And she said, I have a lady who keeps telling the story of a conversation she had with um, one black woman about country clubs. And I'm like, you know what? You need to go find another black woman and get her opinion on country clubs because yeah. you've told this story to death. Then but you can have the survey of two. And you can have a story. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe you'll be really bold and find a third <laughs> one and then form your conclusion. <laughs> but how what advice do you have for us in in releasing that you know you talk about liberation you know i think so many times that the the burdens and the troubles we feel are, are self-imposed yeah i think i just this line from the movie moonstruck with Cher just popped to my mind which probably shows my age where i think it was her mother like just told her snap out of it I mean, yeah. we just have to work to release it. It is true that other people, other non-Black people will sometimes see us as representative of our entire gender, our entire sex, our entire race. Um, but I just feel like we can't give in to that nonsense. Yeah, Like it's, yeah. it's to our own detriment if we give in to that. If you have to live your life, we are a collective, yes, but if you if you live your life based on what the you know white person next to you is going to think of other black women then you know you're not you're not living right shake it off right you said yeah. snap <laughs> out of it shake it off i just want to you know and i think you know there's this idea cuz i've been thinking a lot about liberation just over the last year that like freedom is not a one time thing you choose freedom and choose yourself over and over and over again. So it isn't like a one moment, okay, tomorrow, I'm not going to be bothered by this anymore. So I think it's a, you know, each situation, pushing yourself, challenging yourself, interrogating the way you respond to each. So it's choosing freedom again and again and again, instead and then, of like a one-time snap out of it event. Yeah. And maybe in, in, in addition to choosing freedom, over and over again it's practicing freedom I heard you mention you yes. practice yoga so you know I always yes. like to say that we are practicing life lawyers practice law doctors practice medicine so we are practicing medicine uh, we're practicing liberation we're releasing those societal thoughts and pressures we're releasing the comments from our families the comments from other black women the comments from white people in practicing liberation we're are deciding, like you said, choosing to be free every single day. And we won't get it right all the time. I mean, I watched Real Housewives of Potomac last night and I was judging a lot of stuff, but you know, next time. <laughs> you have, it's mindless television. I watched yeah. it last night too and I said, I'm just gonna, you know, I did wonder about one of the pajama changes, but we'll, we'll talk about that offline. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to remind viewers that the chat is open for any questions that you may have or not. I'm going to continue asking all these questions that I have. Another question I have for you is, which again, in practicing um, liberation, this is a good one, asking for help. Why, why do Black women have a hard time asking for help? 
And, you know, I talk, I give a talk about the power of the ask. And I realized last week I had to give this talk and I needed some help. I said, you know, I think one of my strengths is asking for what I want. Um, but one of my strengths is not asking for help. Oh my gosh, I feel you. <laughs> well, you know, it. so it's rooted in when I was reading, when I was writing the Sisters Are All Right. So we know about the mammy stereotype. And it was a stereotype that evolved, you know, in response to abolitionists who had started talking about, you know, the ill treatment of enslaved Black women. So this stereotype emerged, emerged that, no, 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 Black women, they just, they love to serve. They love to, they have no desires of their own. They love to serve and they can carry any burden because that's what they're, you know, that's what they're meant to do. Um, you think of their eyes are watching God and, you know, one of the- Lori Millherson. Yes. Talk about, you know, Black women being the mule of the world. And so there's this, so there's this stereotype that we are supposed to be unbreakable and we're supposed to be strong and we're supposed to be able to carry any burden. It's like a, a melding of the sapphire and mammy myth. And what I found with the sisters are all right is some black women were like, yeah, but I, I like, I'm inspired by that. Like I, I am strong and I do want to do everything, but there's a limit. We, we are resilient in many ways because we've had to be, right? Mm -hmm. Because of racism and sexism, but strong is not unbreakable. And sometimes we're not encouraged to know our limits. And very often, mm -hmm. unwittingly, I think even in our culture, we deify Black women who work themselves to death you know yeah it's it's big mama who you know raised everybody's kids and her kids and worked her fingers to the bone and like died sweeping a floor and people will sing songs and hosannas and it's not like big mama doesn't deserve that but but can we get flowers for not working ourselves to the bone right can we get people to help us is it okay for us to ask for help i think We've been hypnotized into believing um, that we have to, to carry any burden without help. And that's, that's not healthy. Resilience is great, um, but always trying to go it alone is not healthy and will ultimately burn you out. So perhaps in the spirit of practicing liberation, an act of practicing liberation would be asking for help. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So you just mentioned you teed up self-care. And we talked about Big Mama and um, how Big Mama worked and she cooked and she raised the baby. She birthed the baby. Uh -huh. She did the homework. She came to the school and she and she loved. But what did Big Mama do for self-care? And, you know, I think self-care sometimes has become too um, cliche, you know, hashtag self-care. Gonna get a manicure. Don't look at my nose. I do need but really, what does self-care look like for you? What's your self-care routine or one of your self-care routines? Because I think we should have multiple self-care routines. So, and I totally agree with you. I think in a lot of ways, self-care has been confused with consumerism. Like you don't have to buy anything to take care of yourself, uh, but you can, and sometimes it's yeah. fun, but you don't have to. Right. And I think if we don't unhook it from consumerism, then some of the women who need self-care the most aren't going to get it. For me, 
and especially completing yoga teacher training last year, I like meditation is like necessary for me. Like, even if it's just like one minute in the morning that I just take to like breathe is really crucial for me. Or even I feel really indulgent when like in the middle of the day, I'm lucky to work in an office that has a wellness room, which is this little dark cubby with a, with just like a chair and a dim light. Like could you I take a nap in there? Could you take your yoga mat? And like <laughs> but sometimes I'll go in there and just set like a meditation timer on like calm or headspace or something mm-hmm. and just meditate for 10 minutes and do some stretches. And I, it really makes a huge difference. Yeah. I started my mornings. Now I do some stretching and I'm, I'm not a yogi and I don't enjoy yoga, but just, you know, just moving <laughs> yeah. the body and, you know, getting that little pop. It really, it really does feel good. Again, a reminder that the chat is open for any questions that you may uh, have as a viewer with us tonight. So here's some questions that were sent in earlier. Um, you write that businesses owned by Black women have doubled and then some since the, the book, the first edition came out, great. What do we attribute this to? And how can we stoke that movement besides spending our money there? And then you want me to ask you the part two of that question or you want to answer? Sure. Okay, part two is, has the pandemic hit Black women businesses, business owners differently? I would also like to make my neighbors aware that Minnesota has the Black-owned business directory that you can add your business to at minnesotablackbusiness.com. So So I know, you know, two of the reasons I've heard people give for the reason why entrepreneurism is so big among Black women is is, um, one, our high rates of higher, you know, higher education. Um, And two, you know, Black women wanting to escape sort of the racism and sexism that they experience in the workplace. And they decide instead to have their own businesses and, and take that approach. And those businesses were hit hard during COVID. And we talked a little bit about this. We know that some of the federal dollars that went out to businesses um, during the pandemic, one, they weren't distributed equitably. So a lot of businesses run by people of color didn't get access to them. And in some ways they were an artificial boost. So an injection of money, depending on how you found found to spend it, that you right. won't be getting in years to come. Um, and then, you know, we are- And then the hurdles to even get the money. Let's the talk about that. <laughs> and, you know, you know, because of the tremendous wealth gap and, you know, our families have not been able to build wealth year over year over year. Our middle class is precarious. So our businesses are more precarious because we have less wealth to fall back on when things are difficult. Um, so one good step is actually patronizing Black businesses um, as much as you can. And I think if you look online, there are so many because I think people are more aware of um, the gaps in Black entrepreneurism. There are tons of fantastic lists. You know, the holidays are coming. Yeah. Um, so shop, shop Black this holiday. 
um, and support um, businesses run by BIPOC people. Yeah, and when they say tell, Pookie, tell your mama, tell your friends, tell your coworkers to go and support those Black businesses, leave a right. review, you know, go on Google, go on Yelp. Those reviews do count in, in word of mouth. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, do you have any data or any thoughts about how this period that's being called the Great Resignation is affecting Black and Brown women? Darn, I don't have data. Yeah. I don't. Any commentary from you just know, your I, personal I, observations or your network? No, or... I'm, you know, now you have me, now you make me wish that I had looked this up. So I would be very curious because now we're seeing so many people, get, you know, give up on their jobs and say, you know, I can't do this. And it is, it's really hard. People are struggling emotionally. It's very stressful. Um, we know that the minimum wage is not enough. And it's certainly not enough for many people to go to work, to be, you know, yelled at with guest facing jobs where you get yelled at. And there's always the threat of COVID. But I wonder if um, women of color and Black women, I wonder if we feel the freedom to walk away from jobs in that way because of what we know, because we know that most Black households are led by Black women. Um, the Pew's breadwinner study showed that women in general are increasingly the breadwinners in households more so, more likely if they happen to be Black women. I wonder if Black women have the latitude to participate in the great resignation in the way other people do. I don't have that data. Um, but it that's something to ponder. Yeah, that yes. is something we both should look in that. And, you know, right. I wonder, too, I would say in my own personal observations, I've seen, seen an increase um, looking at, you know, various social media channels in the rise of the quote unquote side hustle yes. by Black women. And I wonder if, you know, some of that introspection time that we had at the beginning of the pandemic during quarantine, when we finally were like, okay, this is, you know, uh -huh. let me just try to catch my breath and, you know, let me just accept this for what it is. And I'm going to think about something else has um, led to that. Ooh, you know, that makes me wonder if we're going to see an explosion of more Black women entrepreneurism, because, you know, in a lot of cases, some of those Black women entrepreneurs are not Black women who just do their, their business. They right. also have full-time jobs. Like exactly. so many Black women with side hustles. And yeah. I wonder if we're going to start seeing that more Black women, you know, not necessarily leaving their nine to five, but adding a five to nine, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that might be the trend. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about how Black women and transgender people experience racism differently from Black men? Well, one of the things, um, one of the areas we can think about is in um, police interaction and police brutality, um, because it's been on, you know, it's an, it's an issue that we're ta we've talked about a lot since last summer with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And usually that, dis that discussion is dominated by discussions of Black men. Um, when there is, when Black women certainly also are killed by police, um, have disproportionate police interactions, 
And as a matter of fact, in some cities like New York, as I understand, you know, not many cities don't keep great data on this, but in New York, the rate of disproportionality is no different between black men and black women. They just don't talk about it. And we know specifically that trans women, black trans women are killed at alarming rates and also have high incidences of police interaction and are very often mistreated because they're assumed to be sex workers. And so, you know, it, that's an example of how, you know, very often when we talk about black people and the challenges of black people, we center those on black straight cis men and we leave out black women and we leave out trans women and we leave out other queer people um, when, you know, very often by, you know, thinking about women, thinking about trans people, we actually have a fuller um, understanding, a, a fuller picture of what the problem is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, as I was listening to you answer that, I was thinking, you know, I can name, um, unfortunately, how many black men can I name that were, uh, affected, died, or, you know, lives drastically changed by police brutality and police misconduct, but top of mind, only two Black women come to mind, Sandra Bland and Breonna Taylor. So out of, you know, the 10 Black men that I just went through quickly right. in my mind. So I encourage everyone to go to the African-American Policy Institute to their Say Her Name initiative and look at the names of the many women who have um, been killed by um, police violence um, because they deserve our attention too. Yeah. Uh, someone wrote that, we love how you talk about your own lived experience in places. I'm sure a lot of the sexism and misconceptions you researched didn't totally surprise you, but did any of the problems or phenomena that made it into the book come as a complete surprise to you? No, nothing really came. You know, what did surprise me, and this is both with the women I interviewed for Sisters Are All Right and the letters I got for Dear Black Girl was how transparent and vulnerable women um, were willing to be. You know, very often I would get, you know, get in an interview with a woman and I would think, okay, I'm going to have to have to really coax a story out and, you know, I'm going to have to build trust because very often these are women, they didn't know me. And then they would tell me so, like something amazing. And I'd be like, oh, okay. Um, which, I mean, to me, it was a lesson about how much we want to be, how much we are not listened to and how it good, how good it feels when someone sits down and asks, hey, sis, what's your story? Yeah. You know, because, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And I think, no, 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 I think that is true. Like, hey, sis, what's your story? And, and then just listen. But I also would say that I think that we are really starving for meaningful connection. I know before the pandemic, there was the saying that, you know, we, the most, we live in the most connected times, but most people would say that they feel disconnected in some shape or form. And so I'm sure that that's only magnified um, during the pandemic. So what, what thoughts do you have on how we can build connection and community, especially when, you know, we're having to do it virtually so many times through a screen and a camera? 
I think we need more Black femme spaces, like spaces just for us. Over the um, pandemic, I'm the co-founder of an organization called Centering Sisters. And with my two co-founders, Dr. Tiffany Dent and Dr. Carolyn Strong, we held these Black women check-ins um, last year, we would just, you know, post on social media and say, does anyone want to come check in? Just sort of a wellness check. And we were surprised at, we usually got like 40 women on Zoom that we didn't know that were, that were just eager to come into a space and just talk about how they were feeling. Because for many of them, nobody else was asking. And so we ended up having these great, we ended up laughing a lot. We ended up, you know, some crying, some, you know, it was fantastic, but it reminded me how good it feels to be in a space with women where you don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to defend anything and you can just be. You can just be. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of times people say, well, why, why does it have to be just for black women? Why can't, you know, and I, and I live a very integrated life. And so I, I integrate a lot of things, but I think just listening to you say that, that sometimes it is nice just to show up and, you know, not have to explain what the chitlins were. Right. <laughs> I don't have, don't have to tell you what I did to my hair yesterday. Yeah don't have to and then like I love all women but sometimes it's okay to get like it's okay to be in those spaces where you can just let your hair down and take the mask off yeah yeah and take the mask off you know in more than one way so we did have a question that came in through the chat how did the pandemic affect your revisions to the new edition of the sisters are all right hmm I don't know whether the well I take that back. I think the the pandemic itself was part of the driver for the ways that Black women are harnessing their power. And so one of the new things in the Sister All Are All Right is a full chapter on Black women in power that includes Black women in activism. A lot of the activism that came about in 2020, and many of the women I talked to had been doing this work for years and years and years, but there was this great uptick in the work everyone felt like they needed to do last year, both in terms of like civil rights and you know Black Lives Matter work, but also in just helping neighbors who were shut in and didn't have access to the things that they needed. Yeah. What does activism mean to you? Because I know, you know last year I founded um, Share the Mic Minnesota really about building connection and sharing the stories of Black and Brown women over social media by partnering them and pairing them with um, non-Black allies. And so it's been amazing to see how those stories, again, the power of the stories to touch hearts, um, to change minds. But I always said, I, I'm not an activist, you know, like I'm not a protester or I'm not out there. But And my mom said, you are an activist because, you know, you are a part of the greater cause and um, you believe in making a change and you're striving to make a change. So what does activism mean to you? Team mom. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like her definition. Like I think it's, you know, activism, it's actively working towards change. And I feel like we need a bunch of different people in order to do that. Like I, I wrote this article for New York magazine about the work of being an ally. And not everybody, we have all different capabilities. And one of the women I talked to said, 
you know, she, that she really wanted to go to Standing Rock a few years ago, but she can't. I mean, she, she's a professor, she's got kids. She's like, but I can do what I can do locally to make a difference. I'm probably not gonna be the one lying down in the middle of the street, but that doesn't mean I don't have something to contribute. And I think- So for people like me, what is Standing Rock? <laughs> okay. <laughs> So that was that was the 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 activism against you know water on a reservation okay. in the west, the west and there was a a big um, standoff um, between the native tribe there at Standing Rock and the people who were cr- trying to encroach and build a pipeline. Okay. Um, but in, insert any insert any movement there, Black Lives Matter, anything. They're, the people who are boots on the ground and who are working in the grassroots and whose faces are being shown, like, you know, and who are on the front line, they're being arrested. Those people are super important. But I mean, so are the people who are, you know, changing laws and who are advocating in that way. So are the people who are covering those stories. Um, you know, to make sure that the public hears them. All of those people are important parts of a movement, I think. Yeah, and I and you just mentioned the people that are changing laws. That's one of the things that has really been brought to my attention, the uh, significance and importance of policy when we talk about power and how we, the people, especially as we practice liberation, should um, get involved with the policy making process at the at the at the local level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I mean that's important. More and more, like people, we need people who are willing to get into politics, which is really difficult for Black women. I actually interview a Black woman in the Sisters Are All Right who tried that and found, you know, the ways that Black women are not supported all the time in politics. No, and we're not supported by those programs. You know, those programs that they have, they really are for white women when they say we want women to run. But then, like, who was it who was able to flip Georgia you know, blue. It was, you know, two Black women working grassroots to change the vote, even as Stacey Abrams couldn't get enough votes to be the governor, you know, she still did the work to make tremendous change in her state. Yeah. So another viewer question, what are you reading right now? Any new books that I, that should be on my radar? So as a yogi, I am in love with Jessamine Stanley's book, um, Yoke. She is fantastic. Like Jessamine Stanley is a great black yogi. Check her out. I love following her on Instagram. Yes. Love her new book. Um, My friend Disha Filia has a book, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, which won all the awards um, this year. And that book, so you you gotta read that book too. It was amazing. Ooh, also um, Jasmine Mann's Black Girl Call Home. It's a book of poetry. Um, very, very good. Okay, so we have Yoke. Mm-hmm. And Secret what was the church ladies? The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. And Black Girl Call Home. And Black Girl Call Home. Got it. Thank you. Uh, who do you follow on social media that we should be following too? Oh my gosh. Um, so definitely follow Disha Filia. Uh, follow uh, Dr. Brittany Cooper, who is fantastic. 
um, and the Crunk Feminist, the Crunk Feminist Collective. I don't know if they, if they have one collective um, Twitter or if Brittany is separate. Um, but I would say follow both of both of them. Those are three people you can follow. And and how do people follow you on social media if they want to? You can follow me at Twitter at what Tammy said. T A M I is Tammy, and on Instagram as Tamara Winfrey Harris. Okay. Um, so one of the things I'm going to go to um, stepping into your power to the letters. Is there any letter that stood out that you have any favorite letters, first of all, before I go to the book? So I have a favorite chapter. I love okay. the family. I like, I love the family chapter one, because I think the letters in it are so beautiful. And, and the other is, I think very often black families are not appreciated in the ways that they should be because many of them don't look like the traditional mom, dad, 2.5 kids, cat and a dog. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought it was important to support girls and let them know that anyone, if you have a group of people that hold you and hold you down and support you, that's a family, no matter what anybody says. Okay, so I know I started off asking you about what letter you would be writing to yourself now, but you even have it in the book on page 38 about writing a letter to your Black girl self. What would you tell, not yourself now, but what would you tell your Black girl self? Ooh, that it's, it's okay. It's okay not to strive. You can just be, you don't have to do and achieve all the time. Um, I would say, um, love your body because the bodies are complaining about it. 21, trust me, you'll want it back at 41. <laughs> yes. And I would say, take, take risks. I would tell myself to take more risks because I am, unfortunately, I'm a rule follower. I'm an oldest daughter and a rule follower. And sometimes I would- No way. I don't get rule follower vibes from you. <laughs> I'm breaking out of it. I'm breaking out of it. I wish I had broken out of it a little earlier. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so I understand that you have, or someone, not I, but someone understands that you have a project with Gabrielle Union. So- I am very excited that Wise Entertainment and Gabrielle Union's production company, I'll Have Another, um, optioned The Sisters Are All Right to turn into a dramedy for television. So I don't know wow. what's going to happen for that with that yet, but cross your fingers. Cross your fingers that we might be seeing it like on TV or on our favorite streaming uh, yes. platform, right? I'm just making sure there are not any other questions and I want to make sure we're doing good on time. And I think our time is coming to an end. I know you're going to read something to close us out, but is there anything else that you want us to know? I just, this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And thank you. I, everyone should follow you. Follow Jasmine on social media. You have been a wonderful, wonderful host and interviewer. Thank you. Yeah, I'll give a, you can simply follow me at Carpe Diem JBS if you want to follow me. Again, Carpe Diem JBS. So you want to read something and then I have some closing um, housekeeping things to do. So why don't you take it away and then I'll wrap us up with the final announcements. 
This and I just want to say thank you. This has been a lovely thank conversation. Um, I have your phone number now. So, um, you know, we'll be, we'll be talking about practicing liberation and yes. being, we're going to be accountability partners. So I want you, Jasmine, to pick up your oyster knife. This is from the epilogue of Dear Black Girl. I love you, Black Girl. I love Black girls in Afro puffs and Black girls in bundles of Remy. I love the daddy's girls and the fatherless ones. I love the little sisters who make straight A's and the ones who skip school. I love the hood girls and the suburban girls and the country girls too. I love the quiet girls and the loud girls, the lip smacking, smart talking ones. I love the saved girls and the heathens. I love the girls who stay in sweatshirts and jays and the ones in tight fashion Nova fits. I love the happy girls and the anxious girls and the girls battling depression. I love the trans girls living defiantly. I love the girls in the library and the ones on the basketball court. I love the virgins and the young mamas. I love the girly girls and the butch girls. I love the girls who fight. I love the girls who love boys and the girls who love girls and the girls who love both or neither. I love you, black girl, unconditionally. And whether you are 15 or 50, you hear me today. I love you whether you look or act like they say you should. You are not wrong. And when you are wrong, I love you with all your flaws. No matter what choices and mistakes you have made, no matter where you live, no matter what you look like, no matter what thing has happened to you. And the greatest thing you can learn is to love yourself unconditionally too. Maybe the hardest thing you have to learn. And I hope the letters in this book have shown you how. One other thing, Black girl, you must learn to love other Black women and girls the same way. Love us whether we look or act like they say we should. We are not wrong. And when we are wrong, love us with all our flaws, no matter what choices and mistakes we have made, no matter where we live, no matter what we look like, no matter what thing has happened to us. And this doesn't mean you have to become a target for another Black girl's pain or anger or trauma. It doesn't mean you have to silence yourself in the face of Black women means you must give your sisters grace and understanding, benefit of the doubt. So few people give us that, we owe it to each other. We have to acknowledge each other's humanity, even maybe especially when we're walking away. And I hope the letters in this book have shown you how to do that too. Because we are sisters, black girl. We have to take care of ourselves and each other. You are me, I am you and we are all right. Inside each of us are tiny pieces of our foremothers, Sarah Boone's ingenuity, Danielle Luna's unforgettable beauty, Toni Morrison's incomparable wisdom, Mamie Till's fierce love, Aretha Franklin's creativity, Marsha P. Johnson's fearlessness, Harriet Tubman's will to survive, Katherine Johnson's genius, Michelle Obama's grace. Black girls are made up of all that magic, birthed in the African sun, baptized by the Middle Passage and burnished by America. That is a power that no one else can claim, just us. We are sisters, you are me, I am you, and we will get free 
together. Zora Neale Hurston, a great black woman writer once said, I do not weep at the world. I am too busy sharpening my oyster knife. An oyster knife is a utensil used to crack open the shell of an oyster to get the tasty meat inside. Zora meant that she wasn't wasting time thinking about the hard parts of being black and a woman. She didn't care what other people said about her. She was busy trying to get at all the good stuff life had to offer. So celebrate your black girl life, celebrate us, be like, oyster, be like Zora and get that oyster girl. Thank you. Thank you and I love you. Okay, gosh, I can't believe our time has come to an end. That's all the time we have this for this conversation. Thank you so much, Tamara, for penciling us into your busy October. And I know you are booking things for 2022 and 2023. Have a great night, everyone. Thank you. That wraps up our St. Paul Public Library event with Tamara Winfrey Harris. Make sure to catch our next Club Book podcast with Kawhi Strong Washburn. Chart-topping novelist Kawhi Strong Washburn lives in Minnesota, but hails proudly from the big island of Hawaii. His upbringing on the magical Hamakua coast inspires and infuses his Penn Hemingway award-winning family saga, Sharks in the Time of Saviors. Visit us online at clubbook.org for details on past and present seasons, sign up for our e-newsletter, check out our calendar, and so much more. Stay up to date with all of our events at our Clubbook Facebook page. If you're on Twitter, find us using the handle clubbookmn. And if you enjoy these free Clubbook events and podcasts, remember to share them with your friends. They just may too. Thanks again to all those who make Clubbook possible, including Melsa, Library Strategies, and Minnesota's Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Our sponsors include MinPost and Red Balloon Bookshop, where you can purchase all the books featured in Clubbook. Finally, a very special thank you to all the libraries hosting events this season. That's it for Clubbook, the coolest club in town. We'll see you at the library.